Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Locked on Phillies podcast. I am recent Temple journalism graduate and longtime Phillies fan, Dan Wilson. And on today's episode, part two of my conversation with ball hawking expert Zach Hample. If you don't already know, somehow Zach Hample holds the world record for most baseballs caught at Major League Baseball games. Part one of my conversation with him, very, very interesting. I recommend checking that out. This is part two of that same conversation, was generous enough to give me nearly two hours of his time. We discussed everything from his trip down to Philadelphia this year with the pandemic crew, how that was one of the more unique experiences in all of baseball this season, his trip to Texas for games one and two of the National League Championship Series, how to best catch balls at Citizens Bank Park comes up in this very episode, and a whole lot more. So definitely stay tuned for that. He also opens up about a number of things, including catching Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th hit in episode one. So I definitely recommend going to that. He certainly has had mixed reviews in terms of news coverage, and he definitely was very open and honest, I should say. So definitely recommend checking that out. But without further ado, I present to you part two of my conversation with Zach Hample. You you live in New York, which obviously has a reputation for having some pretty ruthless sports fans, ruthless people in general. The guy from Philly, okay, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying Philly's uh, exempt from that at all. Philly might actually be even worse, but they're definitely two hardcore Northeast cities, we'll say. And Boston's got a culture like that too. Have you ever like? Are people in person generally pretty positive? Is it just a social media thing? And again. Not uh, letting Philly off the hook either. I mean, Philadelphia fans threw batteries at J.D. Drew. They, you know, infamously booed Santa Claus. They cheered when Michael Irvin, a Cowboys player, went down with an injury. All horrible stuff. But you're not an opposing player. You're a guy with a major league umpire cap. Do you, like, are the personal interactions any better? Does it end with social media? You obviously bring both like Philadelphia is ruthless to opposing teams fans. Like, have you ever worn like a Mets hat to a Phillies Mets game and gotten abuse for that for someone who didn't know who you are, just actually thought you were a Mets fan. Give me any in-person interactions. I was nervous for a number of years, let's say about 10, 10 years ago ish when um, my family had a car, we don't at this point, I mean, New York City living, you don't need one, but we had a car with a New York City license plate. And I thought twice about parking that thing outside of Citizens Bank Park when I used to drive down for games. I was like, is someone gonna key my car? It never happened, um, thankfully. I did once get into it with a couple of Phillies fans. and again, this was many years ago before YouTube, before all that stuff for me. One thing that I do, and people can actually see this still on YouTube, is I bring baseball caps of both teams that I'm seeing that day because it helps to get baseballs tossed by the players if you're wearing a hat of their team, especially the visiting team. You know, if you're if you're in Philly wearing a Phillies hat, you're not going to stand out. But if, and even if you're wearing a Mets hat there you're not really going to stand out because there's so many Mets fans. It's only, you know, it's like a hundred miles to drive down, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, pick some random team, the Padres, if they're in Philly and you're decked out in mustard yellow Padres gear, you're going to stand out, whatever. So yeah, I 
I once had some guys really go after me for, they saw me switching hats, like, and uh, it was not a pleasant situation. They threatened me with physical violence and I had to leave the section and go somewhere else in the stadium during batting practice. That was just one time out of like 60 games that I've been in Philly. Everybody's always been super cool with me there. Um, thankfully, almost all of the hate that I get is limited to the internet. Um, if you do the math, and I think of it this way, like I, when I say that I have about 100 people a day approach me, that's a legit number. That's not an exaggeration. Um, you know, sometimes it's less if I'm at a stadium and there's only 9,000 fans there, but it's like a playoff game at Yankee Stadium, 300 people might stop me. But say it's 100 a game. If I go to 100 games in a season, which for like seven or eight years, I was averaging 100 games a year, you do the math, that's 10,000 people that I'm going to interact with over the course of the season. And only a handful, a single digit number of people in an entire season will be rude to me in person. And it is almost always confined to fans who happen to be in the bleachers in right field at Yankee Stadium. Uh, so yeah, I, it's, it's overwhelmingly positive for me and that's great. Um, you know, Barstool Sports, which had been critical of me in the past, making fun of me, whatever. I ended up going to a game with Big Cat in Chicago White Sox game, you know, one of their, one of the biggest personalities with Barstool. And we did a video for the Barstool channel. We did another video, like we had dueling videographers. I did my own video and he was so cool. And Barstool was so cool to me after that, that like a certain demographic that used to really give me crap when they saw me like, oh, it's that loser that, you know, like baseball boy, whatever. All of a sudden, because Barstool was cool with me, all these people, the stoolies out there were like, hey, it's foul ball guy. Like he's the man, like all this stuff. So, you know, I know that Barstool themselves, they've generated quite a bit of controversy and I don't agree personally with everything they say and do, whatever. We're allowed to have our own opinions, but They've been so cool with me. I have nothing but love for them. And it's like, it helps to get some positive coverage. So, you know, it's like, it, it's just, it's so damn weird. Um, and I think a lot of the negative stuff from like A-Rod in 2015, the, the military game in 2016, Clayton Kershaw being rude to me in 2017, which I then tweeted about because I almost thought it was amusing, but then that turned into a national news story where I was getting all kinds of crap. And then later that year in 2017, the Aaron Judge thing where he robbed me. And for some reason, everybody hated me for that because they accused me of fan interfering when I didn't because obviously he caught the ball. It's like there were three seasons in a row where there were national news stories about me being a terrible person. And it's just like, wow, I need to stop doing this because <laughs> like something bad is going to happen. So it's been three years since then. I've intentionally been very boring, um, you know, on Twitter since then, although I've tweeted some political things recently expressing my displeasure over certain people and certain things, which, 
you know, I've lost a few hundred followers this off season. Fine. I get it. But I also just can't sit back and say nothing, but yeah, like my goal for the 2018 season, people were like, what's your goal? Like you want to catch this many home runs or get married or like what? It's like, no, my goal is to not have the entire country hate me. And you know, there's still a little bit of time left in 2020, but so far it seems to be the third year in a row where I managed to not piss off people on a national scale. So we're going to keep it that way. Like this is actually how I think it's, it's pretty wild. At a certain point, are you ever sarcastic? Like I know, like what are your, when you make a national headline, like if you're on ESPN.com or you mentioned you made it on CNN a few times, like, are your friends saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. This happened. Like we support you through this. Are they saying like, LOL, this is hilarious. You're trending again. Obviously you feel bad about something like the, uh, you know, the Fort Bragg incident, but you were literally for better or worse trending on Twitter that night. Like, do you look back on that and say like, that's kind of funny. Do you look back on any of these experiences and say, no, horrible. Kind of funny. Okay. It's horrible. And anybody who says, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I say you're an idiot and you've never been through what I've been through. Um, when I was on Conan O'Brien in 2009, that was a terrible interview. Um, he referred to me as quote, the worst man in America. And after that for a while, if you, if you searched my name on Google and it was autofilling, the first thing under my name, Zach Hample douche was the first thing that autofilled. Um, in more recent times, there was a trend on Twitter. It was, it was a hashtag, things better than Hample. And that was trending nationally, I guess. Um, it sucks. And, uh, you know, I, I, after the military game that I went to, and by the way, I got a lot of support from people in the military after that. There was a lot of negativity, but there were a lot of people who emailed me and they were like, you did nothing wrong. I'm ashamed for the way you're being treated. You had every right to be there. Um, you know, I, I actually, things, things really get thrown off on a bad course by the media misrepresenting things. And, you know, the term fake news gets thrown around a lot these days. And unfortunately, I think that term gets misused by people who, who don't like accurate coverage of themselves and they then falsely dismiss it by calling it false news, fake news. But like there was actually fake news back in 2016 with me at the military game. Like, you know, at the very start of that day I had announced on Twitter and it's still there if you wanna dig back through my tweets and it's time stamped. Um, I, I caught my first ball of the day and showed it on Twitter. And I think, and, and, and I immediately started writing the next tweet and no one even knew I was there, which said, I'm gonna donate a hundred dollars to a veterans charity for each ball that I catch today. And I ended up getting 11 balls and I, I sent a check for $1,100 to a veterans charity. That was never talked about by the media. And, and the few times that it was, people were like, oh, he only donated money after he realized people were pissed off. It was like, no, that was my plan from the start of the day. So 
you know, I had Sports Illustrated saying that I, um, I entered the game illegally or I snuck onto the military base. And it's just like, how would a civilian sneak onto a military base? Like that's an insult to the military to suggest that that could even happen. Um, you know, I was, I was there legit. It was a bad decision. I wish I hadn't gone, but I, I, I didn't do anything illegal. I was trying to be very generous. I gave all the baseballs away. Like people were accusing me of knocking down kids at the game. And I'm like, the place was crawling with military police. You think I would have gotten away with it? So it's like, you have to be able to separate fact from fiction and people are lazy and they just see stuff written and they believe it without taking a moment to think about like, could this actually happen? And no, it couldn't. So it's, it's really a shame that, that things have gotten as, as negative for me as, as they have. But, um, you know, I, I've tried to right the wrongs and I give away most of my baseballs now. And I was giving away baseballs even before YouTube, but now people can actually see me doing that. And I think people appreciate my generosity. And if I'm a little bit exuberant in how I conduct myself in my videos, I, I think most people realize that, you know, it's, it's part of being an entertainer and I have the right intentions and, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that we should be so quick to judge people forever based on the one worst moment of their lives. I mean, obviously, if you kill someone or if you do something bad, like you're labeled a murderer forever. But, you know, people say and do stupid things. And I think, you know, we, we want to rehabilitate people. It's like if you go to jail and you come out, like you should you should be respected as having done your time. Um, and, you know, if you do something bad and you piss people off and, and you offer a sincere apology and you actually seem to be a changed person, I think we should respect that and give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think overall people have with me, but there's still people that hold a grudge. I still get nasty comments like, you know, people are pissed off at me for not giving A-Rod the ball or not giving it to him sooner. It's like, and, and then I remind people, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really a, a dickhead, you know, holding onto that ball for two weeks and getting the Yankees to donate $150,000 to a children's baseball charity for it. Like that was a real dick move on my part. You're right. I'm a bad person. And, and that usually shuts them up pretty fast. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't like having to prove myself, but when, when the default attitude is sometimes so negative you know, I don't have a PR person, like nobody's going to speak up for me, except for me. So then I have to let certain things be known. And then that pisses off people like, oh, why do you have to like keep bragging? Or why do you have to point out that you're raising money for charity? And it's like, well, this money ain't gonna raise itself. Like I'm trying to spread the good word. And ultimately, you know, people, there's a lot of just bitter, negative people out there who don't have anything better to do than to try to bring others down. So I accept that that will always be a baseline and that I have to deal with middle school taunts despite being a grown man. But I'm trying very hard to steer things in a positive direction overall. And I think I've done a, a good job of keeping the peace over the last few years. After whether it was the Fort Bragg game or any other game where you feel you're maybe 
misrepresented or perhaps you regretted the decision? Did any of those news sources or did any news sources at all reach out to you, get your perspective on what had happened? Like the coverage that followed that, how did you end up managing that? Most of the coverage happens, like 98% of the coverage happens when the thing first happens. You know, um, when I first got the A-Rod ball and like that night and the next, you know, next couple of days, I think I got that ball on a Friday, June 19th, 2015. We can look it up. I think it was a Friday and that whole weekend was just a media blitz. And like, that's when all the stuff was being written. And I had said the rude thing on A-Rod on Twitter, like somehow in a story about A-Rod, I was the bad guy. Can you believe that? Like someone who cheated and took steroids and lied about it and sued major league baseball and sued the Yankees and sued the players union and was like, and, and a multi, multi, multi-millionaire A-list celebrity. Somehow I was the bad guy that people were pissed off at. Like it just boggles the mind. Cause I said something mean to A-Rod and Twitter. People hated me. Um, but no, it's like in that brief window of time when I, was holding on to the ball. Um, even when I had a deal with the charity and the Yankees in place, and I knew that I was going to give the ball to A-Rod and the Yankees were going to donate a ton of money to this children's baseball charity. Like that was going to happen. And I was going to re- receive zero money for it, but it wasn't publicized yet. Cause the Yankees wanted to be the ones to announce it. Like during that time, I was just getting dragged through the mud by the media. Forbes published an article about how memorabilia leeches were ruining the sport. And that article was basically about me and how greedy and selfish and awful I was. You think Forbes ever apologized? Do you think the writer of that story reached out to me and was like, I'm wrong, let's do another story and set the record straight? Hell no. And so people saw that first story and maybe none of the coverage that followed. And and so people are still pissed at me five years later um, I think the video about me on YouTube with the most views, it has almost 10 million views, is from Inside Edition. And it was filmed in those first few days after I got the ball. And it's all about like, you know, like guy who uh, is keeping the ball insists he's not trying to be a jerk or something like that. And like, that's what people see when they search me, unfortunately. And so like, if you watch one thing and that's it, you're going to think like, oh, yeah, that jerk who never gave A-Rod the ball. And it's just like there's so much more to the story. So the media is tough, man. It's, um, I don't know, I feel like <laughs> I, I, I feel like I would do so many things in life differently. With the A-Rod ball, when someone on Twitter the day of the game asked me what I would do if you if you catch A-Rod's 3,000th hit. And I was like, I'll give A-Rod the finger and a dummy ball. That guy deserves favors from no one, least of all a fan. Like, that's what I actually tweeted. I thought it was funny. That got me into a lot of trouble. Like, if I had it to do over again and someone asked me, what, what will you do if you catch A-Rod's 3,000th hit? I would have tweeted something like, I would need to think about it. And if I do anything, hopefully, you know, A-Rod can get the ball back and my favorite children's baseball charity can, or like, I don't know, but definitely something charitable, like just even something like that. You know, I was going for the laugh rather than just being kind and sincere. So 
yeah, what would I do differently about a thousand different things? Um, and I'm probably going to make more mistakes in the future that I wish that I'll wish someday that I could undo. But yeah, that's that's my experience. A life a life of triumph and regret at the same time. <laughs> it, it hasn't prevented you that whole experience. I don't believe has prevented you from going for more notorious or milestone balls like i think you were in la or anaheim rather for to try and catch pool halses i think it was six hundredth home run i mean if you were to get something like that are you giving it back to him that night are you taking the charity route again do you not know you kind of have to feel it out like what would what would happen uh it's a case-by-case basis um i've gotten okay every home run ball that I've ever gotten that the player who hit it wanted for himself. I have always given those baseballs to the players. And I'm trying to think how many that has been. It, it usually works out to about one out of every 10 to 15 home runs. The player is going to want that ball for whatever reason. Like I even remember, I think, Ricky Weeks hit a home run on Mother's Day one year, like in Milwaukee, I think. And like, he wanted that ball to give to his mom. It wasn't a milestone. You know, like you never know the reason that a guy is going to want a baseball back. But I think I've gotten 71 game home runs. And I think maybe six of them, the players have wanted. Again, I could look that up. There was the A-Rod 3000 hit. And then the rest have all been players' first career home runs, including Mike Trout's first home run. So all those guys, I gave the balls to them but yeah with something like the poo holes like if i got something that big i i would definitely have to think about it i would absolutely want poo holes or whoever to have that baseball but i would i would want something in exchange a charity donation would be great um and you know i i like to collect baseball bats at this point from players that i give baseballs to so i don't know um yeah, the, the player will, will always get the baseball back from me as long as things are done right. And obviously, the charity that you ended up picking was pitching for baseball. You're, people can't see, but you're actually, I believe, wearing a shirt for it right now. I had the opportunity to work for them this summer. Great charity. I always think it's, kind, I mean, obviously great. I'm not trying to, you know, minimize. It was, I, I thought it was a good way to ultimately let it play out. Don't rush into anything. Obviously a new experience for you with the A-Rod ball. I always think it's a little ridiculous from their perspective. Like it's almost, and again, I don't know what your experience was or how much you want to get into your experience with the Yankees during those two weeks, but that it almost seems like it's a little bit of pulling teeth or it's a little bit of a process because they just like demand the ball back. And then you kind of have to stick up for yourself and people don't know that they can do that. And then the settlement is, all right, all right, we'll give $150,000, I believe was the number to pitch in for baseball. I mean, what's that, like 0.00001% of A-Rod's contract? Like the minimum player gets 500000 The Yankees are worth how much? Like, should it really be that much of an ask for them to do that kind of thing? Again, I don't know what your process was. That was kind of just my outside view on it. And I think it's a pretty decent route to take rather than just be like, all right, here's the ball. I don't get to meet them. Like, I think like the security guards walking away saying like, all right, like that guy didn't know what he was doing. Like sucks for him, but it's not really his fault either. Cause his boss is telling him to go get the ball. When Pujols hit his 600th home run, 
And that was in Detroit last year. I think that was May 9th, 2019. There's, I think that was the day. Very empty. It was uh, an afternoon game in Detroit. Like I should have, or no, that, that wasn't his 600th. That was Pujols' 2000th RBI. I'm sorry. Pujols hit his 600th home run in Anaheim in what, 20, a few years ago. But his 2000th RBI, forgive me, was in Detroit last year. It was a home run. Should have caught that ball. I think I was positioned badly in left field. And the guy who did get it, it was the first ball he ever got. He didn't even have a glove. Like, you know, the guy was drinking a beer and like lucked into it. Just right place, right time. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, it went right over my head by like 10 rows. It was a line drive. And like, if it had just ricocheted off the middle, like back of the seat, like it could have ricocheted right back to me, but instead like it ricocheted to this dude, like whatever. I, uh, as bummed as I was not to catch it, I still wanted to do what I thought was right. And that was protect the guy who got the ball because stadium security came to get the ball from him and they were offering him crap for it. I think like they were going to give him an autographed ball for it or like tickets to the next game, like just something really lame, like with a $50 value for this ball that was, I think definitely worth five figures. I mean, not too many guys have gotten 2000 RBIs and people who have gotten it, that ball probably did not end up in the stand. So this guy may have had the first ever 2000th RBI baseball owned by a fan. And I'm like, I just can't see, I cannot sit back and allow him to get taken advantage of by stadium security. And so I walked over to give him some advice and security was there and security was not happy with me because I was interfering. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you can get pissed off at me if you want, but like, don't take advantage of this guy. And I'm like, dude, like hold on to the ball. And security is like, if you hold on to the ball, leave the stadium with it. Like it's going to be worthless. And I'm like, no, it's not like they have video of you getting it. If they're worried about you leaving, they can authenticate it. Like, don't let this happen. You should ask for, like, I told him like, don't ask for money. Teams don't do that, but you should be able to meet Pujols. If you want to sign bat from him and trout, that's like nothing. Like this is a huge, huge baseball. So, you know, I, I'm going to always, I'm always going to stand up for the underdog and, you know, I'd rather the Tigers and stadium security gets pissed at me, but I've protected, you know, the, the regular guy. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird dealing with security in these situations. And as far as the Yankees with A-Rod, they came up with that number, $150,000. I thought it should have been more. I mean, if, if that ball went to auction, I know it would have sold for a lot more than that. I had, I had auction experts telling me, it would have gone for anywhere from $50,000 to $500,000. I think it would have been on the higher end of that. Um, but, you know, the Yankees came up with that number. There was no negotiating with them. At, at one point, they suggested that A-Rod might make a matching donation. A-Rod didn't do anything. Uh, you know, I got a couple of bats and a jersey from A-Rod, which, you know, the money from that doesn't come out of his salary. And... It's not like he can't afford it either. No, and <laughs> you know? look, it's very easy to be generous with other people's money. You know, why doesn't Jeff Bezos donate a hundred, you know, billion dollars to this or Bill Gates that, whatever, Elon Musk, like, you know, why don't the Yankees do this? They have all the money. 
people tell me, why don't you donate more baseballs because you have so many? So it's like, I've been on the receiving end of that. People can do whatever they want. What pissed me off about the whole A-Rod thing, and he was very nice at the time in person. I mean, he, he had to be, all the cameras were on and I was giving him a very valuable item for free that like, if I didn't want to do it, he wasn't going to get it. So yes, he was, he was nice to me, but it also did seem genuine. I apologized for the mean tweet twice off camera and on camera. And both times he was like, you're forgiven. We all say stupid things. Like I had a good interaction with A-Rod. Would have been nice if he made a matching donation, whatever. But here's what really chapped my ass about A-Rod. Just in the last year or so, it could have been 2018. I think maybe it was last year. He was doing a Sunday night baseball ESPN broadcast. Um, and some ball went into the stands that was a milestone home run for the player. And I can't remember if it was an, an empty stadium and they were talking about how easy it was to get back because there were no fans or maybe this was when there were fans and they were talking about how they're going to have to negotiate with the guy for that ball. A-Rod on national TV talked about you know, the guy who got his 3,000th hit and, and how difficult that was. And A-Rod said, quote, I'm still paying for that one. As if to suggest that A, he even gave any money for it, which he didn't. And B, if he had, dude, you're worth half a billion dollars. No, you wouldn't still be paying for it. Like that was so fraudulent. And it just pissed me off about A-Rod all over. Like I loved him when he first came up to the majors. Then it turned out that he was a cheater and I hated him and I said so publicly and it got me in trouble. Then I got the 3000 hit and that was actually a pretty cool experience with him and I liked him. And then he went and spewed this garbage on ESPN suggesting that I was like greedy or somehow got paid by him and he's still paying. Like it was so obnoxious. And so like, I'm sorry, but screw that guy. Screw A-Rod. I'm not happy. I mean, it's just, and so I got a whole new wave of like hate from people because one bozo goes on the air and says something like, fake news, I'm serious, fake news. Man, getting all riled up here. This is supposed to be the off season. I'm supposed to be relaxing about baseball and instead you're getting me all worked up and pissed off. Um, but so it goes, life goes on, A-Rod's fine. I, I think it's cool how he has managed to rehabilitate his reputation. Uh, he married J-Lo, you know, he's a family man now, all this stuff, like good for him. You know, I'm not happy with a lot of things he's done, but you know, again, he didn't kill anybody. He can live a good life, but I just wish he wouldn't bring me down in the process. More of my conversation with Zach Campbell coming right up where we get into things like Citizens Bank Park and how to best ball hawk there, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, Dan Wilson here from the Locked On Phillies podcast. And if you're a basketball fan, listen up. The Locked On NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all of this coming week. Plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. I'll, of course, be tuning in to the Locked On Sixers podcast with Keith Pompey. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. 
you know, I was going to say he's paying for it so much that him and Jennifer Lopez actually made a bid on the Mets. So, you know, clearly tough times at the Rodriguez Lopez household, you know. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's kind of funny. And again, I I didn't mean to get you all riled up. I do really appreciate um, everything of just being so open about it. It's stuff I'm all personally curious about. I'd imagine others are as well and getting it directly from the horse's mouth. As they say, I'll end it on a more positive uh, question, just because, again, this is the Locked on Phillies podcast that will add a Philly spin to this. For people who are listening to this, who go to Citizens Bank Park more than any other stadium, it's the favorite ballpark, it's the home of their stadium. What is the first of all, where does it rank in terms of one through 30 Major League Baseball? I don't know if you've ever actually like made rankings. I know Camden Yards is your favorite, or at least it was. I imagine it still is. Where does Citizens Bank Park rank and where are the best places to stand? What's good about it? What's bad about it? Just give a whole scouting report on that. I have never ranked all the stadiums one through 30. It would be tough for me to do because would I be ranking it strictly based on how many baseballs I catch or overall experience and vibe including security and the fans and or like how beautiful the places are or like I don't know how I would even rank it I feel like I'd have to have several different lists um but I would definitely definitely no matter how no matter what list it would be on it would be in the top 10 um maybe maybe the top five I don't know. I mean, it's certainly more beautiful and pleasant than um, some other places where I might catch more baseballs that I might like more for that reason. But yeah, it's like a probably a top five to 10 stadium. I absolutely love going there. It's beautiful. Um, so the, the scouting report would be you enter the Ashburn Alley left field gate because that's the gate that opens early usually half an hour before the other gates and left field and right field straight away into the power alleys. Those are your spots for batting practice. Standard strategies apply in that you don't want to hug the front row because the front row is always crowded, hang back a bit. So you have some room to move for home run balls. Um, The difference between right field and left field is that, you can play very deep in left field and few baseballs will go over your head. Occasionally someone will muscle up and mash one into the second deck in left field. That used to happen very rarely, but now clearly there's something going on with the baseballs themselves because it's a semi-regular occurrence that players will hit balls into the second deck in left field in Philadelphia. It always amazes me, but You can play very deep there when the power guys come up and you'll have a lot of room to maneuver. In right field, you don't have as many rows to work with. And the deep home runs will still occasionally go in the second deck in right field. But another thing that happens is that they will hit the large advertisement boards and then ricochet down into the seats. So if you find that perfect middle area in the right field seats, you have double the chances of catching home runs. You can catch home runs on the fly, maybe about six or eight rows back. 
And if a ball happens to go like 30 feet over your head, it'll hit that advertisement board and drop right down to you. So make sure that wherever you're positioned, you are right in front of one of those advertisement boards because it'll increase your chances. That is some expert level positioning. I'm, I'm educating the competition right here. I'm making it harder for myself to catch baseballs when I go there, but that's, that's really what I try to do. The diamond club behind home plate is a pretty fun place to be for catching foul balls during games. You're a little too close to home plate and you're a little bit too uh, down low, uh, like near actual field level. So most foul balls will fly way over your head, but you'll get some ricochets from the upper levels behind the plate. So look alive, nice standing room there. Uh, the bullpen setup is gorgeous out in right center field. Good for pregame toss-ups on the concourse, um, pregame warmups. So yeah, there's, um, there are a lot of opportunities for catching balls. I absolutely love it. And I encourage people to go to games and show up early and catch your own baseball and interact with the players. And there's so much fun to be had outside the confines of the first and last pitch of the game. So go take advantage. Has there ever been like, well, depending on the stadium you go to, will you base that on, you know, how much you're going for balls, how much you actually just sit and enjoy the game, how much you sit and talk to people. Like, does that, do you have like, not an equation, but kind of a, uh, your, how, what factors into that? Um, I'm, I always want to go for as many baseballs as possible, but now that I'm doing YouTube videos, I find myself sometimes prioritizing the video over you know, scrambling to get that extra ball, you know, between batting practice and the game, I could go and try to get a pregame toss up along the foul lines or the bullpen, but maybe I want to use that time to eat the signature food item in the stadium and also get up to the upper deck and check out the glorious view, depending on what stadium it is. And it's like, when else could I do that during the day? I don't want to give up two innings of the game necessarily to wander from my seat. I don't want to give up batting practice. Um, Maybe if I called the team and asked them very nicely, they'd give me a media credential and let me in early, but I usually don't go that route. So um, during games, if there's standing room and if it's easy to move around from left field to right field, like there's a walkway, like in Kansas City, for example, there's standing room all over the place. I'm going to move back and forth behind the batter's eye for every batter, lefties, righties. I'm always going to be in position anticipating that they're going to pull a home run 400 feet. Um, but other stadiums where security is strict and there's not a cross aisle, I'm just going to sit in my seat and hope that something comes my way and it's much less fun. It's, you know, usually a less fun video and it's just less fun for me to be there, but that's what I have to do. Occasionally I'll even buy tickets in two different places if security won't let me move back and forth. But if I have two tickets, it's like, well, they can't stop me. So that's, that's my approach. Um, I choose my spot in the stadium based on, yeah, um, where the balls are going to be, basically. And I definitely go to certain stadiums more because of how easy it is to move around and how chill security is. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing I was going to ask, because a lot was made of it definitely a few years ago, with the increase of 
home runs and some of it is the swing, the approach in modern day baseball. But you also mentioned that you think there might be something going on with the baseball, more balls headed up to the second deck. Perhaps no one more qualified outside of Major League Baseball as a fan to say whether the ball has changed or not. I mean, you have a huge collection of them. Is there any difference from your perspective in the baseball or is it kind of just something you're still trying to figure out? I'm not a scientist. Uh, there are people who've dissected baseballs and done all sorts of calculations and crunched the numbers. And I feel like they are the most qualified. Now, the fact is that Major League Baseball has juiced the ball throughout history. Um, this is, it's proven. There are many examples in my latest book, The Baseball, where I have a massive section of the evolution of the ball, where, I mean, they, they change the composition in order to increase offense. And the juiced ball controversy goes back to the 1800s. So, and it's always a situation of like MLB saying, nope, we haven't done it. And all the players are like, uh, we can see the difference. And then the scientists are like, there's a difference. And MLB is like, nope, there's no difference. So it's like, who do you want to believe? And the very same thing is happening right now. So if history is any indication, there is something going on. Maybe not, but according to the odds, based on everything that has happened, yeah, MLB has changed the ball somewhat. And it only takes a very, very slight change to increase the distance that a ball will fly. I mean, there's, there's a range of specifications for how the ball, how the ball is wound and how much it can weigh. And, you know, like they, they, put it in like a hydraulic press and see how much give there is. And you have to have a little a window of error. Like otherwise, like if it, if it had to be exactly, you know, within a, the teeniest fraction, you, you couldn't actually make the balls cause it would be too difficult. So, but you can perhaps tailor the ball to be more toward one end of the window than the other. And that could affect you know, uh, that could add 5% of distance to fly balls, for example. So there's something going on in my non-scientific opinion, because I have been to a ton of games. Everything I do at games is observe where the balls are going. Baseballs over the last few years have consistently gone to deeper parts of the ballpark than they had in the previous 30 years that I was at games trying to catch balls and watching where balls were landing. So either the players are juiced or all their bats are, are corked or the balls are juiced. So, but they're not, they're not flying the same way that they used to. That's it. And you can talk about all backspin and launch angle and all this stuff. Sure. But Balls don't consistently fly as far as they do unless something's going on. I'll get you out of here on this. I know it's a question you've been asked before. Do you have a favorite ball? I know you really like that final ball you caught at Shea. There's obviously some milestones in there, but do you have like an absolute favorite ball? Like if you could only could hang on to one, what's the most special ball in your collection? 
Um, well, you, you named it the final home run that the Mets ever hit at Shea stadium is my all time favorite ball that I caught. That's the happiest I've ever been catching a baseball. It wasn't necessarily an easy day to (laughs) catch a baseball. Like they were in a playoff chase end up being the year the Phillies won the national league East went on to win the world series, but the Mets were in it on the final day, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And it was, Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I mean, it was the final game at Shea stadium, but when the game, game 162, yeah. And like everything coming to end. So all of the, you know, in terms of, a, it was going to be sold out anyway, yes. but also electric atmosphere, like not ideal for ideal for, the typical baseball fan, maybe not ideal for getting a ball, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And and when that game started, nobody knew if it was going to be the last game. So, yeah, that I, I wish that those stupid Marlins had not hit any home runs after I caught that Carlos Beltran homer in the I believe I caught the ball in the sixth inning. But then I think Dan Ugla and Wes Helms. Maybe I'm off, but I think those were the two guys that hit home runs after the one that I caught. And what a bummer. What a bummer. I wish I had the very last one. But the last Mets home run is still cool, and that's my favorite ball. It was just pure shock and jubilation, and um, I'll, never, I'll never forget that. And sometimes just watching the highlight of that and seeing the camera zoomed in on me, just like I think the hat fell off my head, and I was just like, I mean, just losing – my damn mind on that one. And I mean, like, oh, if, if my house were, my apartment were burning down and I could only grab one item, I'd probably grab my laptop, unfortunately. But like, if I could only grab one baseball, um, I think that would be it. I'd be tempted to grab my thousandth ball, but you know, Robinson Cano signed that and he's a cheater. So that, that means less to me. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for the Mets. I mean, I know that Philly fans don't want to hear that I'd grab a Mets baseball, but it's okay. Like I said, the Phillies won the National League East, went on to win the World Series that year. I, I think Phillies fans are over it. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. And ultimately, you know, we are we are all baseball fans. We might like our own teams, but we're all baseball fans, and we have to remember that. And it's just like we have all this political division. We are all Americans, and it's like like different countries are fighting each other. It's like, you know, yeah, we're all human beings. It's like when the alien race comes down to annihilate us, like maybe, maybe then we'll be united. And it's just like, let's all get along. I like my Mets home run ball. Please don't send me any hate mail as a result. If I end up catching the last Phillies home run ever at Citizens Bank Park, maybe that will be my new favorite ball. What's your lifetime total at? Like as we speak today, 11,184. So you've had, you trying, you mentioned Cano, you got signed, I believe on the, that was what, a 10,000 ball that that day in Baltimore. So you try and get the ball signed every thousand. Have you caught up on all of those? Have any of them been harder? I imagine some have been harder than others to try and catch up and getting all those signed. Like any funny stories there? Uh, Let's see. So I have 11 different thousandth baseballs sometimes i get lucky and i get it signed immediately or like that same day by the player who threw it like my thousandth ball it was thrown by pedro borbon jr a braves player at shea stadium 1996 it was a rainy day 
the Mets sucked. There was nobody there. Like he threw the ball. And then I think I even said like, oh, can you sign it? To like, he just came over and signed. It was so easy. There were like six people and he was done signing autographs in a minute. But, you know, what happens if you catch a ball by a superstar, someone with a bad attitude? So there are three that I've never gotten signed. One of them, I don't think I ever will because I used my own glove trick, my own device where I lower my glove on a string and I can pick up baseballs out of reach. I got my 3000th baseball that way at Yankee Stadium in, I think, 2007. So who would I even have signed that? Me? Or like the person who stitched my glove in the factory? Like, I don't know. So, I mean, I guess I could sign it, but that seems sort of egomaniacal. So I, I did not get my 9,000th ball signed yet. That was hit by Jock Peterson in 2016 in Phoenix. And he's not the best autograph signer from what I've heard and seen. And I guess you can get him if you go to the hotels. I've actually never gone to a hotel to try to get autographs. I think, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of intrusive to the players, but if they're not going to sign anywhere else, then what are you going to do? So I might have to do that someday. I remember, here's, here's a story. You know who I don't like, who's rude? Uh, Kike Hernandez. Because I was in Cincinnati in 2017 when the Dodgers were there, when Clayton Kershaw was rude to me. And I brought my 9,000th ball with me, which I'd gotten the year before, hoping that I could flag down Jock Peterson and get him to sign it. And I had a great spot in the front row next to the Dodgers dugout pregame. And several players came over to sign. I even, I got Yasiel Puig and I forget who else I got. I got a few guys on a ball and I ended up giving it away as like a prize on social media. Kike Hernandez came over to sign and he told me, he's like, what are you doing? You're too old for this. And you know what? Kike Hernandez can go to hell. Kike Hernandez, guess who pays your salary? It's not all the eight-year-old kids that you're signing for. It's grown-ups who pay for the tickets, buy the merch, support your team. And look, I get it. If you don't want to sign for the grown-ups, if you want to say, hey, you know, I'm really, I just prefer to get the kids or get the kids first and then sign. But like that attitude is so crappy. You know, like Kike, you're, you're a grown man wearing tight pants, you know, swinging a piece of wood at a baseball for a living. And you're going to tell me I'm too old. Like I'm not allowed to be a fan. And like, and, and I was even trying to get his autograph to give away to a kid. Like I just, I, I hate him. I hate Kike Hernandez. Um, I, I was, I, Oh God. And there's a, there's a lot of attitude with the Dodgers actually. So um, that, that's a story trying to get, one of my thousandth balls autographed. And then the last one I got number 11,000 in Anaheim uh, in 2018, that was thrown by, I think Francisco Liriano. He didn't sign that day. I haven't seen him since. Uh, hopefully I'll get him. I think he's, I think he's sort of toward the tail end of his career. So I don't know how many more chances I'll get. And, you know, if he retires and goes home to his native country and doesn't, make any appearances at stadiums. Like, I just don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna get him. So that bothers me. I just, I don't, I don't wanna spend more time getting autographs than I spend getting the baseballs themselves. Some people just devote their lives to getting autographs. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like 
spend your time however you want. And I think it's great that people like, obviously I'm not going to judge someone for spending all their time, you know, pursuing their hobby, but I, I can't do double duty. Like I spend so much time catching balls. I can't double that and spend that much time trying to get all the balls signed. So yeah. Zach, again, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Went way longer uh, than I think either of us expected. Thank you for being open about kind of some of the more negative stories and just being open and honest. I do truly appreciate it. Uh, and I was also glad that we were able to kind of tie in a Phillies conversation. Enjoy the rest of your off season. I'll let you go back to not thinking about baseball. Um, <laughs> and we'll certainly uh, we'll have some time down the road. Uh, we'll have to do this again at some point. Well, you're a great interviewer. You ask good questions. Um, I know I gave very long answers, but uh, hopefully people enjoyed all of the stories, both negative and positive, giving you some real talk here. And yeah, great to chat and share stuff. And um, I, hope, I hope people enjoyed it. And much oh. love to Philly. <laughs> Thank you. That will do it for my entire conversation with Zach Campbell. I thought it was a lot of interesting stuff. Did try and tie, you know, some Phillies ties into it. He did not know. He breaks down his stats a lot, but actually did not know who he's gotten the most balls from in Phillies history. He certainly listed some of his Phillies favorites, how Citizens Bank Park was one of his favorite experiences this year in 2020. The best ways to catch baseballs in Philadelphia. So certainly got a Phillies tie into it. And just as a baseball fan, I find... His entire story, very, very interesting. You know, regardless, obviously some people have some not so great opinions about him. Some people really like what he does and finds it fascinating. I certainly uh, am a fan of his, but, you know, I can understand that people come in on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to him. But definitely, I think you have to admit that it's certainly very interesting to hear his stories and hear him retell basically a lot of what his life has become turned into he admitted to a number of his mistakes and I, I think that really kind of sums it up that you know he certainly means well and this is just supposed to be a fun thing and obviously in the age of the internet that we live in today things can often get taken out of context I think again that'll do it for my conversation with Zach Hample stay tuned for more Locked On Phillies podcast daily throughout the week Megan Montemaro from The Athletic Phillies beat writer will join me later in the week, and we'll be talking all things off-season, Dave Dombrowski, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for that. But until then, have a great day, everyone. I'll talk to you tomorrow.